0: Chapter 3 of Characters from Sketches by Boz. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ruth Golding. Sketches by Boz by Charles Dickens. Illustrations by George Cruikshank. Chapter 3 of Characters. THE NEW YEAR. Next to Christmas Day, the most pleasant annual epoch in existence is the advent of the new year. There are a lachrymose set of people who usher in the new year with watching and fasting, as if they were bound to attend as chief mourners at the obsequies of the old one. Now, we cannot but think it a great deal more complimentary both to the old year that has rolled away, and to the new year that is just beginning to dawn upon us, to see the old fellow out, and the new one in, with gaiety and glee. There must have been some few occurrences in the past year to which we can look back with a smile of cheerful recollection, if not with a feeling of heartfelt thankfulness. And we are bound by every rule of justice and equity to give the new year credit for being a good one until he proves himself unworthy the confidence we repose in him this is our view of the matter and entertaining it notwithstanding our respect for the old year one of the few remaining moments of whose existence passes away with every word we write here we are seated by our fireside on this last night of the old year 1836, penning this article with as jovial a face as if nothing extraordinary had happened or was about to happen to disturb our good humour. Hackney coaches and carriages keep rattling up the street and down the street in rapid succession, conveying, doubtless, smartly-dressed coachfuls to crowded parties loud and repeated double knocks at the house with green blinds opposite announced to the whole neighbourhood that there's one large party in the street at all events and we saw through the window and through the fog too till it grew so thick that we rung for candles and drew our curtains pastry-cooks men with green boxes on their heads and rout furniture warehouse carts with cane seats and french lamps hurrying to the numerous houses where an annual festival is held in honour of the occasion. We can fancy one of these parties, we think, as well as if we were duly dress-coated and pumped and had just been announced at the drawing-room door. Take the house with the green blinds, for instance. We know it is a quadrille party. "'because we saw some men taking up the front drawing-room carpet while we sat at breakfast "'this morning. "'And if further evidence be required, and we must tell the truth, we just now saw one "'of the young ladies doing another of the young ladies' hair near one of the bedroom "'windows in an unusual style of splendour, which nothing else but a quadrille party could "'possibly justify.' The master of the house with the green blinds is in a public office. We know the fact by the cut of his coat, the tie of his neckcloth, and the self-satisfaction of his gait. The very green blinds themselves have a Somerset House air about them. Hark! A cab! That's a junior clerk in the same office. A tidy sort of young man with a tendency to cold and corns, who comes in a pair of boots with black cloth fronts, and brings his shoes in his coat pocket, which shoes he is at this very moment putting on in the hall. Now he is announced by the man in the passage to another man in a blue coat, who is a disguised messenger from the office. The man on the first landing precedes him to the drawing-room door. Mister Tupple. "'shouts the messenger. "'How are you, Tupple?' says the master of the house, "'advancing from the fire, "'before which he has been talking politics and airing himself. "'My dear, this is Mr. Tupple,' "'a courteous salute from the lady of the house. "'Tupple, my eldest daughter. "'Julia, my dear, Mr. Tupple. "'Tupple, my other daughters. "'My son, sir.' Tupple rubs his hands very hard and smiles as if it were all capital fun and keeps constantly bowing and turning himself round till the whole family have been introduced when he glides into a chair at the corner of the sofa and opens a miscellaneous conversation with the young ladies upon the weather and the theatres and the old year and the last new murder and the balloon and the ladies sleeves and the festivities of the season and a great many other topics of small talk more double knocks what an extensive party what an incessant hum of conversation and general sipping of coffee we see tupple now in our mind's eye in the height of his glory he has just handed that stout old lady's cup to the servant "'and now he dives among the crowd of young men by the door "'to intercept the other servant "'and secure the muffin plate for the old lady's daughter "'before he leaves the room. "'And now, as he passes the sofa on his way back, "'he bestows a glance of recognition and patronage upon the young ladies "'as condescending and familiar as if he had known them from infancy. "'Charming person, Mr. Tupple!' perfect ladies man such a delightful companion too laugh nobody ever understood papa's jokes half so well as mr tupple who laughs himself into convulsions at every fresh burst of facetiousness most delightful partner talks through the whole set and although he does seem at first rather gay and frivolous so romantic and with so much feeling quite a love no great favourite with the young men certainly who sneer at and affect to despise him but everybody knows that's only envy and they needn't give themselves the trouble to depreciate his merits at any rate for ma says he shall be asked to every future dinner-party if it's only to talk to people between the courses and distract their attention when there's any unexpected delay in the kitchen. At supper Mr. Tupple shows to still greater advantage than he has done throughout the evening, and when Pa requests everyone to fill their glasses for the purpose of drinking happiness throughout the year, Mr. Tupple is so droll, insisting on all the young ladies having their glasses filled notwithstanding their repeated assurances that they never can by any possibility think of emptying them and subsequently begging permission to say a few words on the sentiment which has just been uttered by pa when he makes one of the most brilliant and poetical speeches that can possibly be imagined about the old year and the new one after the toast has been drunk and when the ladies have retired Mr. Tupple requests that every gentleman will do him the favour of filling his glass, for he has a toast to propose. On which all the gentlemen cry, "Here, here!" and pass the decanters accordingly. And Mr. Tupple, being informed by the master of the house that they are all charged and waiting for his toast, rises and begs to remind the gentlemen present how much they have been delighted by the dazzling array of elegance and beauty which the drawing-room has exhibited that night, and how their senses have been charmed and their hearts captivated by the bewitching concentration of female loveliness which that very room has so recently displayed. Loud cries of, "Here!" Much as he Tupple, would be disposed to deplore the absence of the ladies on other grounds, he cannot but derive some consolation from the reflection that the very circumstance of their not being present enables him to propose a toast which he would have otherwise been prevented from giving. That toast, he begs to say, is, THE LADIES! GREAT applause. THE LADIES! among whom the fascinating daughters of their excellent host are alike conspicuous for their beauty their accomplishments and their elegance he begs them to drain a bumper to the ladies and a happy new year to them prolonged approbation above which the noise of the ladies dancing the spanish dance among themselves overhead is distinctly audible The applause consequent on this toast has scarcely subsided when a young gentleman in a pink under-waistcoat, sitting towards the bottom of the table, is observed to grow very restless and fidgety, and to evince strong indications of some latent desire to give vent to his feelings in a speech, which the wary tupple at once perceiving determines to forestall by speaking himself. He therefore rises again with an air of solemn importance and trusts he may be permitted to propose another toast. Unqualified approbation, and Mr. Tupple proceeds. He is sure they must all be deeply impressed with the hospitality, he may say the splendor, with which they have been that night received by their worthy host and hostess. Unbounded applause. Although this is the first occasion on which he has had the pleasure and delight of sitting at that board, he has known his friend Dobble long and intimately. He has been connected with him in business. He wishes everybody present knew Dobble as well as he does." A cough from the host. He, Tupple, can lay his hand upon his Tupple's heart and declare his confident belief that a better man, a better husband, a better father, a better brother, a better son, a better relation in any relation of life than Dobble, never existed. Loud cries of hear! Yeah! They have seen him tonight in the peaceful bosom of his family they should see him in the morning in the trying duties of his office, calm in the perusal of the morning papers, uncompromising in the signature of his name, dignified in his replies to the inquiries of stranger applicants, deferential in his behaviour to his superiors, majestic in his deportment to the messengers. cheers. When he bears this merited testimony to the excellent qualities of his friend Dobble, what can he say in approaching such a subject as Mrs. Dobble? Is it requisite for him to expatiate on the qualities of that amiable woman? No, he will spare his friend Dobble's feelings. He will spare the feelings of his friend, if he will allow him to have the honour of calling him so Mr. Dobble, Jr. Here, Mr. Dobble, Jr., who has been previously distending his mouth to a considerable width by thrusting a particularly fine orange into that feature, suspends operations, and assumes a proper appearance of intense melancholy. He will simply say, and he is quite certain it is a sentiment in which all who hear him will readily concur, that his friend Dobble... "'is as superior to any man he ever knew "'as Mrs. Dobble is far beyond any woman he ever saw, "'except her daughters. "'And he will conclude by proposing their worthy host and hostess, "'and may they live to enjoy many more new years.' "'The toast is drunk with acclamation. "'Dobble returns thanks.' and the whole party rejoin the ladies in the drawing-room. Young men, who were too bashful to dance before supper, find tongues and partners. The musicians exhibit unequivocal symptoms of having drunk the New Year in while the company were out, and dancing is kept up until far in the first morning of the New Year we have scarcely written the last word of the previous sentence, when the first stroke of twelve peals from the neighbouring churches. There certainly, we must confess it now, is something awful in the sound. Strictly speaking, it may not be more impressive now than at any other time, for the hours steal as swiftly on at other periods, and their flight is little heeded but we measure man's life by years and it is a solemn knell that warns us we have passed another of the landmarks which stands between us and the grave disguise it as we may the reflection will force itself on our minds that when the next bell announces the arrival of a new year we may be insensible alike of the timely warning we have so often neglected and of all the warm feelings that glow within us now End of chapter three of characters from sketches by boz